IBN is proud to bring you the following podcast. Welcome to Deconstructed. I'm TJ O'Hara, the principal political analyst for IBN, the independent voter news. Our goal on Deconstructed is to break down important political issues with outstanding guests so you can develop your own more informed opinion. My guest today is Nathan Lockwood, Managing Director of Rank the Vote, a national nonpartisan organization supporting activists in building state-level ranked choice voting initiatives across the country. Previously, he served as a statewide speaker and as the communications co-lead for Voter Choice Massachusetts, the organization which helped launch the Yes on Two ballot campaign. Mr. Lockwood also was an executive board member of the Voter Choice Education Fund, a founding member of Unite America, an elected member of the planning board for the town of Lunenburg, Massachusetts. He's joining us to talk about Rank the Vote and its role in expanding the footprint of ranked choice voting across the nation. Welcome to Deconstructed, Nathan. Hey, TJ. It's great to be here. Nathan, what is ranked choice voting for those who may not be familiar with it? Ranked choice voting is a simple change to the way we vote that gives voters more choice and a stronger ballot. It's a very simple thing that really right now when you vote, no matter how many candidates are running for a particular office, you're only allowed to pick one of them, even if there's several that appeal to you. With ranked choice voting, you're allowed to rank the candidates in the order that you prefer them. So fully express your preferences for the candidates in the race on the ballot. And that solves some really important problems. One, for example, that affect both our elections and the results of our elections. So right now, our elections work pretty well when only two candidates run. I mean, it may be a problem that you only have two choices to begin with, but when only two candidates run, the candidate that gets elected will have the support of at least a majority of voters just by the math of it. And that's a good thing. So it gives them a certain mandate. We start to have problems the way we vote right now when more than two candidates run. And depending on how many run, candidates can get elected with quite small numbers of voter support including as low as 20% in the teens, that sort of thing. And when that happens, you know, we don't have real clear certainty that the voters' views are properly represented in the result because you have a situation where you have someone elected and sometimes 80% of people not having voted for them. So that becomes a real problem. The other thing is that in many cases, we only get two candidates to choose from because other people who would like to serve the public in that office are discouraged from running because they don't want to be what is often called rather pejoratively a spoiler. And folks may remember back in 2000 when George W. Bush and Al Gore were running, and there was a third party candidate running, Ralph Nader. There were others as well, but he had particularly high profile. And at that time, many people were really concerned about that election because folks that were for Al Gore were worried that Ralph Nader was going to siphon off support of voters who would otherwise vote for Al Gore and result in the election being won by George Bush. And in fact, there's actual data in that election that suggests that is what happened. Exit polls show that in the state of Florida, which proved decisive in the race, of the voters who voted for Ralph Nader, had he not run, about 50% of them would have voted for Al Gore. About 25% wouldn't have voted. And about 25% would have voted for George Bush. What that means is roughly 20,000 votes would have gone towards Al Gore in a race that was won by George Bush without a majority of support and by less than 1,000 votes. 
so that's just one example. Now, that particular example kind of broke in the direction of the Republicans and was spoiled for the Democrats. There's lots of other elections across the country where the same thing happens, but it's the Republicans who are hurt by the spoiler. And so what we find is that this is a problem that affects both parties. It limits choice for voters who are conservative. It limits choice for voters who are liberal and centrist and all over the political spectrum. And as a result of that election, during that election, Ralph Nader was vilified for having the audacity to run to serve the public with his brand of ideas because of the vote splitting. And people who considered voting for him were demonized. Like, how can you do this? You're going to give the election to the other side. And that's a terrible dynamic for a democracy. So ranked choice voting fixes this problem. And the way it does it is we talked about how voters can rank their candidates in the order they prefer them. And so if you're a Nader voter, for example, you don't have this pressure to choose what some people call the lesser of two evils, you know, vote for the candidates who are likely to win. You can vote for Ralph Nader. And if he doesn't have the support needed to win, your vote will get counted to your second choice, which in many cases might be Al Gore. So you can vote for the third party, the independent candidate, and still participate in the final outcome rather than have your vote be wasted. And for all of us, the benefit of that is we get the information about really understanding what voters are feeling about the race in the ballot box. And we also get the big benefit of being ensured that the candidate who wins will be the one that has the support of a majority of voters. No winning with 20%, no winning with 48%. You need to show that more than 50% of the voters prefer you over the other options to win. So those are some of the improvements. And I think those improvements can have other downstream consequences, but that's kind of the big elevator pitch for ranked choice voting. Thank you, Nathan. Now tell me about Rank the Vote. When was that organization formed and how was it started? The organization's just been officially formed in the last year. We're very early stage. And it was formed by many of the folks who had been leaders in the ranked choice voting movement in the state of Massachusetts. Your listeners may or may not know, there's a really exciting thing going on in Massachusetts right now. There's a ballot measure called Yes on Two. It's going to be put before the Massachusetts voters in November. And if they vote Yes on Two, what they will achieve is ranked choice voting for all state and federal elections in Massachusetts, except for the office of president. And so they will get to enjoy the benefits in, of ranked choice voting in all those races. And what we see from our experience in Massachusetts and participating in elections, looking at the data from elections, is that that will be an important thing because there are all the things that we just talked about in terms of candidates winning without a majority, people not entering the race because they don't want to split the vote, occasional spoilers. Those things have all happened on a regular basis in our state. And this yes on two will give Massachusetts voters more voice and more choice. But the reason they're getting this option is because four years ago, a group of people came together and I can talk about why in a moment. There were some key events that led people to come together in Massachusetts to start working on ranked choice voting. But when ranked choice voting got started in Massachusetts, there was maybe a handful, like five to 10 people who were actively promoting ranked choice voting in the state. And that's not enough people to win ranked choice voting. But in November of 2016, after the very contentious election, which left a lot of people across the political spectrum deeply unsatisfied, not just with the results, but with the whole process. And another event, which was a campaign in the state of Maine, which had been fueled also by a grassroots movement, was able to become the first state to adopt ranked choice voting statewide for state and federal elections. And since then, they've used it and they've really been a model for the U.S., 
So inspired by main success and troubled by a very obvious illumination of some of the problems we have today in the U.S. around our political culture, these five or 10 folks called a meeting and broadcasted on Facebook and emailed. At that time, they only had roughly 200 supporters. So they spread the word as far and wide as they could. Hey, let's get together and have a meeting to talk about forming a group to advance ranked choice voting in Massachusetts. And about 50 folks showed up. And they started laying plans about how to grow and build a movement that could eventually launch a campaign to win ranked choice voting. And that's why today we have Yes on Two in Massachusetts, a state that many felt was a pretty unlikely state to be leading on this issue because it's a pretty politically lopsided state with Democrats having more supporters and more control in state government than than the Republicans. And it just wasn't clear to folks initially that this would be the state which would get excited about it. But the benefits of RCV are really strong, and they're strong in Massachusetts, and they're strong in purple states, and they're, they're strong in red states. And it was a real achievement that the movement was able to grow from those handful of five folks to a list of 40,000 supporters over three years and was able to really generate a lot of excitement in the grassroots amongst both parties and independents and all sorts of folks. And really also through getting people excited about it was also able to generate what we call grass top support, which is the support of public officials, well-known folks in the media, writers, that sort of thing, influencers. And if you look around now and just looking at the Massachusetts campaign in the honorary co-chairs, which includes several former governors and a lieutenant governor, Deval Patrick, Bill Weld, Carrie Healy, other incredible leaders, Tanisha Sullivan, the president of the Boston NAACP, Danielle Allen, a professor at Harvard. It includes the owner of the Boston Celtics, Mr. Paliuka, and in others. And that's just an example of the support amongst leaders around the country in Massachusetts as well. Larry Summers, former Secretary of Treasury. So when people at the grassroots get excited about an issue that really has strong merits and validity, I think the Massachusetts experience shows that there's no limit to the ability to generate momentum. And I think the Yes on Two campaign, which grew out of this and grew out of the fact that you can fundraise for a campaign that has that kind of support, is looking really good. And it came out of that kind of movement. Nathan, we're going to take a quick break and talk more about Rank the Vote when we come back. Looking for an insider's perspective? Join IVN's principal political analyst, Dr. T.J. O'Hara, as he deconstructs America's most pressing issues with notable guests from across the political spectrum. Subscribe to Deconstructed for fresh perspectives and no partisan spin. Welcome back. My guest today is Nathan Lockwood, Managing Director of Rank the Vote, a nonpartisan organization that helps states pursue ranked choice voting. Nathan, what services does Rank the Vote provide? Yeah, TJ, I'd say the first service we provide is strategic guidance and advice. I'd say the, the single biggest piece of strategic guidance and advice that we give to state groups is to focus on growth first and then enactment. One of the patterns folks see is ranked choice voting has a lot of benefits when you start to scratch the surface. If you're interested in seeing better politics, you'll get really excited about ranked choice voting. And a lot of the groups that embrace it do. And one of the typical mistakes is that they take this enthusiasm because it seems like such a clearly great idea. They think, no problem. We tell people about it. It gets passed into law. We're all set. But the reality is it takes more than a group of five people to pass these things into law. And there's a lot of inertia in the system and changing the way we elect people in a democracy is something that everybody from the average voter up to the legislator takes really seriously. 
And so if you put your energies into trying to enact legislation or pass a ballot measure before you have enough supporters to do it, you're not going to be successful. You're going to be kind of spinning your wheels and wasting your time in most cases. There are exceptions. And secondly, you're missing out on the opportunity to build the support, which can very likely make you successful. So that's kind of our first thing we offer. So after you get past that primary priority of growth and expanding your network, what are some of the other strategies and tactics you might recommend to a state that wants to pursue this? Yeah. So once you get activists to to kind of understand that they got to grow, then we're able to talk to them about really three kind of key directives that will help them grow in the right ways. And they're pretty simple to understand. One is people. So you want to sign people up to be supporters of your organization. And you want to sign them up. You don't want to just hand them a flyer. You want to build a relationship with them. So you want to get them on your organization's list in your database so you can maintain contact with them. So people is the first directive. The second thing is political causes need money. So you want to start raising money because money will help you enable you to get more people supporters to do the things you need to do that, to build a social media presence, to support the costs of having a database and sort of the back office things you need to build a movement, ultimately to hire people to help provide administrative backbone to your movement, which initially may be all volunteer. Certainly in Massachusetts, it was all volunteer for a very long time, but money is very important for that. And getting people excited about ranked choice voting and willing to show that excitement by investing in the cause also sends a signal to other people and other political actors and folks who are looking to help invest in good causes to show them that this is a place where there's some momentum. So showing groups how to raise money and encouraging them to make that a priority is the second piece of our advice. And the third piece is start working on endorsements. And you you don't have to go for former governors and presidents right away. In fact, you really shouldn't. But as you start to build up supporters, have them start networking with other organizations and you can get other organizations to endorse ranked choice voting. And in Massachusetts, the way the parties work is there's in each town, almost every town, there's a Democratic town committee or Democratic city committee and a Republican town committee or Republican city committee engaging with them, educating them about ranked choice voting and ultimately earning their endorsement is a huge boost to the cause and serves as a validator as you go to get additional supporters. It's something you can talk to people about. And as you sort of move up the ladder to more visible and more prominent organizations or individuals, it helps you get their endorsement. So by building people, money, and endorsements, you're starting to build the capacity that you will ultimately need to win a campaign. Now, what are some of the basic funding mechanisms that Rank the Vote would recommend if someone wanted to start an initiative in a state? That's a great question. Initially, you start with what you have, right? So the first goal for these state groups is to pull together a small group of people initially that are excited about promoting ranked choice voting in their state. And the first fundraising can come amongst that group and their networks, right? So we've got a lot of examples where state groups have formed in the last six months. And at their statewide kickoff meetings, they raise between $1,500 and $2,500 right there from the members, which are typically, you know, 30 to 50 people at a meeting. So people chipping in 30 to 50 bucks each can provide a nice amount of money to do the initial things you need to start building your organization in terms of paying for money to distribute invitations to events on social media, 
paying for a lot of these these organizations will need some kind of uh, collaboration tools and a website and a database. And those things do cost a certain amount of money. So they can start there, but ultimately you need to start branching out and doing fundraising asks in all of your outreach, whether it's your live outreach or as you start to do educational talks about ranked choice voting to different social, civic, and political groups, those are good times to do asks. One thing they did in Maine, and we repeated in Massachusetts, it was great, was one of the ways people can support the cause is once they become something that they get excited about, have a house party at your home, invite a few friends or colleagues, and invite a speaker from the state group and have them talk about ranked choice voting. You can raise money there. So those are a few of the ways you can get started. Very quickly, you raised the issue of endorsements. How much pushback do you get on endorsements or are people on both parties enthusiastic about coming in and endorsing ranked choice voting? So I think one of the things that we learned in Massachusetts, we were very lucky, I think. We had people who have been working on ranked choice voting and were pretty active and savvy in politics in general previously. And so I think they put us on a pretty good course with this that prepared us for what we would find. And I think a couple of the rules there is don't count anybody out on ranked choice voting. Don't count out Democrats. Don't count out Republicans. In fact, if you want to win ranked choice voting in your state, you ultimately need their support. So whatever your politics, whether you're independent, Republican, or Democrat, you don't need to turn off any of these sides in order to win ranked choice voting. There's something in it for everybody. We're kind of all prisoners of our current plurality voting system in some way. So that's kind of the first rule, and especially don't offend the group. If there's a, if you're in a state where one particular group holds a lot of power, you really want to be careful. You want to speak in a way that isn't going to turn their ears off to your cause right away, because there's a great chance that, especially if you're going to pass it legislatively, you're going to have to work with them to do that. And even for a ballot measure, you want every vote you can get. You don't want one side strongly against you, for sure. And it's good for everybody, so there's no reason to do something like that. But the thing about endorsements is back to that capacity growth, I think I would just reinforce that be realistic about your endorsements. The reason groups need to grow is because growth is what makes people take you seriously and listening to. What you're proposing as an advocate of ranked choice voting is very transformative and powerful. And if a transformative and powerful thing is being advocated by just a small number of people, most people aren't going to necessarily take it too seriously. They're going to ask themselves questions like, why haven't I heard about this before? And how come you're the only person talking to me about this? So I guess the advice would be, as far as endorsements goes, work your way up the ladder. You know what I mean? You don't want to have those people way up the ladder, their first experience of ranked choice voting be something like, who is this person? What is this thing? And why are they telling me about it? By the time you get up to a congressional representative, you want them to be aware of the issue, be aware that there's a growing movement in their state about it, and sort of almost to be expecting you to come and talk to to them about it, if that makes sense. Well, Nathan, we're going to take a quick break and talk more about Rank the Vote when we come back. The National Association of Nonpartisan Reformers is the only association of nonpartisan election reform leaders, organizations, and industry professionals dedicated to increasing electoral competition and voter choice. Learn more at nonpartisanreformers.org. Welcome back. My guest today is Nathan Lockwood the managing director of Rank the Vote, a nonpartisan organization that helps grassroots initiatives pursue ranked choice voting in individual states. Nathan, what type of coaching and consulting service does Rank the Vote provide? If I'm a state and I come to you, what's the nature of the consulting and coaching that I receive? 
it's pretty basic, but pretty valuable. So we actually have a playbook that has documented a lot of our recommendations for forming and operating a group and contains a lot of the strategic advice that we've talked about today. So we'll make the playbook available to you and encourage you to read it and ask questions about it and understand it. We'll also help with just so when you're forming a group, there's just some basic nuts and bolts things that we try to make easy for you by recommending what meetings to hold. Some We have some template agendas. One of the goals of these meetings is to very quickly get people focused on those three tracks of people, money, and endorsements and to build an organization with individuals who take responsibility for organizing different aspects to support those three tracks. So it's pretty basic stuff initially like that. And does Rank the Vote charge for its services? So we don't charge for our services, TJ. We are also looking to, in our level, raise money ourselves, build supporters, and gather endorsements. But uh, we're looking to be self-funding and through our own donor network to get the support that we need to uh, provide support to states. And in fact, one of the things in our playbook around these tracks of people endorsement and money, which is really something that distinguishes us, it was critical in our effort in Massachusetts, and we work to impress it upon the state groups we work with, is to manage and track their progress through metrics that directly relates to those three tracks. So track your number of supporters, your number of volunteers who have signed up, track the money you've raised very carefully, and track your endorsements. Because one of the things that Rank the Vote, we believe we can help these groups do as they make progress along those tracks and build their metrics is use those metrics to excite potential donors. Because people want to invest in something that has momentum, has a chance of success. And when you've achieved these metrics and can demonstrate them, that can make it a lot easier for you to raise money. And Rank the Vote can help these groups raise money because of our contacts, pre-existing contacts with donors. Now, even though Rank the Vote is a relatively new organization, you've already co-founded initiatives in 10 states and advised in five others. What have you observed in the formation of those initiatives? What are the pluses and minuses? It's been an interesting experience and a very positive experience. We set out with a lot of confidence because of the success we had in Massachusetts, essentially creating this playbook based on things we've learned from Maine and elsewhere. It's impressive to see the success and the similarity in the development of the groups we're working with. Groups very quickly pulling together teams of eight to 12 people who work to schedule statewide meetings, which are consistently getting 30 to 50 people, which are then consistently raising between $1,500 and $2,500. And it's also really exciting to see people start to manifest their talents in each of these states and unique people with unique strengths and quickly spinning up websites. Some of them just really impressive and uh, novel, but very effective presentations of their cause. So I guess the thing that surprised me is formity of success and the speed with which you know, we've been able to help nine states. As far as things that could go better, so this is hard work, ranked choice voting, education, and a- activism especially when you're starting out with no money on an all-volunteer basis. So it does take time and it takes patience. The pandemic has been a massive setback because a lot of our success in Massachusetts and what we recommend for folks to do as soon as they're able to is build relationships with people. Go out. We did a lot of live outreach, TJ. We were at so many. Initially in Massachusetts, our thing was get to the live events where there are other activists because they're going to be the people you want to understand this issue first because they will go off 
They will help us. They will become volunteers. They will go and spread this RCV message. With the pandemic, those options are much more limited. So folks have to turn to other ways to spread the word. And we can still be effective. We can still grow. But we're still learning how to operate in the pandemic. That's been a, a big setback. The other one is going into a major election in 2020. If we were able to do live outreach, that would present opportunities. I think you just need to be careful. People all across the political spectrum are invested in elections in terms of the outcomes, especially in presidential years. And so you have to be sensitive to meeting people where they're at and talking about this cause, which we believe is fundamentally important, regardless of the season or the election, but also respecting the fact that they're feeling a lot of emotion and energy around their cause right now. So you you don't want to be tone deaf to kind of where they're at in the moment. Well, Nathan, in the limited amount of time we have left, where can our listeners go to learn more about you and rank the vote if they'd like to get involved? So TJ, yeah, we I encourage people to go to our website, www.rankthevote.us. It has some valuable information on it about our organization, how to get in touch with us. And there's a page that lists all the RCV state groups. So you can join a group in your state through that page. It's got links of how to join. We've got a Facebook page called Rank the Vote, facebook.com slash rankthevote. And our Twitter page, which we haven't put a lot of effort into yet, is called Rank the Vote USA. Well, thank you for those links, Nathan Lockwood. I wish you and your team at Rank the Vote continued success. I think we should consider every alternative that might open our elections to new candidates with fresh ideas. And good luck with growing the movement, Nathan. And thank you for joining me on Deconstructed. Hey, thanks so much for having me on today, TJ. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. This podcast is brought to you by IVN.us an open news platform for independent-minded authors and readers. If you like what you hear, make sure to subscribe to IVN.us where you listen to podcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, or iHeartRadio.